Welcome to the SPU Voices podcast, where we tell personal stories with universal impact. I'm your host, Amanda Stubbert, and this is my producer, Kyle. Say hi, Kyle. Hiya. This episode of Inside Voices, we sat down with Jeff Jordan, our VP for Student Life here at SPU. He's been working with student leaders for more than 35 years. Jeff has been working with student leaders 10 more years than I've been alive. Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to foster leadership skills in others? Then this is the episode for you. Dr. Jeff Jordan is the Vice President for Student Life at Seattle Pacific University and responsible for collaborative planning with SPU's academic leaders, student leaders, and student life staff. As if overseeing eight on-campus departments wasn't enough, Jeff also recently launched a leadership studies minor where he serves as professor and mentor. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you. So my first question has to be, why higher ed? Why do you want to spend your life with college students? Well, I didn't know that when I first went to college. My parents, I have an older brother and sister who went to college, so I'm kind of a half-gen. Neither one of my parents went to college. And so I sometimes will refer to as myself opposed technically. As opposed to first-gen, yeah, just yep, for people who exactly. didn't get that reference. So technically, I'm a first-generation college student because neither parent either went to college or has a bachelor's degree. Uh, but I did have a little bit of an example with an older brother and older sister. So when I went to college, I had no idea that you could actually work in college. And so when I first uh, went to Houghton College, which is my undergrad, I got involved right away as a freshman class president, uh, went, to be, uh, went my sophomore year to be an RA, and then uh, eventually I did other leadership and ended up as being a student body president. Little did I know at that time that Houghton had a, a great program. It was a two-year program with SUNY State University of New York College of Buffalo, and it was basically in student personnel administration. And hmm. I figured uh, if I could get into that, it leave nothing else. It paid for a master's degree, and who knows what would happen after that. And uh, uh, got into college work actually right away. My first job was at Seattle Pacific University in the mid-'80s. I was here for four years, uh, left for 15 and back, 16th year back at SPU. Been times in my life where I've come to crossroads about whether or not I would stay in higher ed for a variety of reasons. And the um, only thing I can say is that God had better plans than I had, and I've continued to be able to be in a place that has um, been meaningful, a uh, place that has had um, a great um, opportunity for me to feel like I've had a chance to interact with students' lives. Well, one thing I notice when you are listing your journey is that it's very higher ed related, but it's also very leadership related. Which do you think played a, a larger role for you? Well, um, if you ask my advisor from Houghton, it would definitely be leadership because I wasn't a very good student. <laughs> <laughs> so if, that, if that's any indication of my grades and my GPA. Uh, Take uh, note, current students. Exactly, Not a good student exactly. now has a doctorate. Just, yep. just um, putting that out there. Got in by the skin of my teeth into grad school. Grad school did, did fine because I became focused at that point. But I think for me, the, the opportunity to just to do a variety of different things was just freeing for me to be able to do that. So I think the leadership really kind of took uh, me down some paths that I would not have expected to go down. 
but knowing that you better do your academics too or else you're not going to be there. So it's not uh, just one or the other, it's a both and. And the question is, is what's the balance between the two? So um, frankly, I think if you ask my staff now, they'll probably t- tell you that I'm a little bit more of a geek out type of a person when it comes to uh, looking at learning outcomes and uh, higher ed and student development theory. And of course now teaching, I have to geek out a little bit more. So it's very interesting how the tables have turned, I think a little bit along the line, but as, it, as an under grad, it certainly was probably much more the experiential than it was what was happening in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So when you think about raising up the next Mm -hmm. next layer of of leaders, right? And you've been at this for a while, so that's layer upon layer upon layer. What is it that, what's the number one thing that you would want to come out of each of those layers for each of those students? Well, I think it's interesting. I just, I, I've had the opportunity in the last couple of days both to be with a number of folks from my undergraduate institution. And then just before I came here, I actually met with one of my former student leaders from probably about 30 some years ago. And I think for every, each one, and as I think about this with uh, our student government, our, whether it's our RAs, whether it be ministry uh, leaders, wh- whatever the case may be, clubs, organizations, is trying to find out what is it is that they want to explore and try to um, get better at and get deeper at because it's something they have a passion about. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the one piece that I think has been true throughout the 35 <clears throat> plus years now <laughs> of doing this type of work is trying to figure out where students want to go and how can you help them get there that makes good sense. A lot of times students will have these great ideas, but it may not always make great sense. And so do you kind of, you, you're always there trying to give some sort of mirror. You're trying to give them some sort of feedback that is really will keep on taking them down a road. And of course, that's a balancing act. That's that advising, mentoring piece that can be very beneficial, hopefully for them. And you don't want to take the journey away. That's never the case. But at the same time, you want to make sure that the journey is worthwhile for them. And so how can you keep on helping them make sure that journey is worthwhile, uh, whatever that may be in leadership in particular, uh, that's what's really important. Sounds a little bit like counseling to me, that you, you have the ultimate outcome of the individual, but you also have to think of the whole of the household at the same time. Does that analogy ring true? It resonates. Um, I was a sociology major with a psychology minor, so that kind of gives you loose a little bit yeah. of that. And I think, you know, it is, I mean, the things that we all do is always within context. And so you may be a student body leader, you may be ASSP uh, president, but if you don't realize the context of which you're in, that's not always very beneficial. I mean, you might have your own you know, goals and all the rest, but you can't do it alone. I mean, leadership doesn't work if you don't have followers. Right, right. Um, not in a vacuum. Absolutely. Matter of fact, last week I actually taught the class on followership um, in, in the leadership minor. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny thing, but the truth is, is that unless you're paying attention, it's got to go both ways. I mean, the leader has to pay attention to the followers. Followers need to pay attention to the leader. And uh, it's a really dynamic phenomenon, frankly. Uh, and that's really important. So there is a, a little bit of a counseling piece to it. There's no doubt a little bit of advising, getting to know the person and what drives them. Certainly there's that aspect, but it's also within the context of a community and the context of what an organization, how it works, all those things kind of come into play. Well, you just said 35-ish <laughs> years <Yes>. doing this work, <laughs> but as we grow and change and society grows and changes, but the age of the students that you're working with pretty much stays the same year over year. So as the parent of two college-age kids, mm-hmm. what would you say has changed the most in those incoming students as that class changes mm-hmm. year over year? And then I have a follow-up question, but we'll, we'll start with that. What has changed the most? 
Um, that's a hard one um, because I think in some sense um, identity development, uh, student development is a lot the same as it was 30 plus years ago. Sure. So trying to figure out who you are might still continues to be family of origin. It continues to be who you are compared to your friends. There's all this discovering self. And I don't think that part has really changed in the 35 plus years that I've been doing this type of work service. That's just being a human being. It is. It is. I mean, it's developmental. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think this is the hard part that I see for some of our students coming in to have their AA degrees at age 18. They're still developmentally 18, even though they may be of junior status. And how do you get a chance to really experience some things still as a college student that you might be truncated to a two year experience as opposed to a four year experience? So those things become really important, I think, to the student, and frankly, it should be to the family as well in regards mm-hmm. to what does that look like. And now, not not saying there's a problem with the two-year, you know, being here for two years, but what do you do during those two years to make sure that you're really working hard to get that experience that goes beyond just getting a degree? Uh, I think that becomes really very, very important. The other thing that really has changed, I think, over the time period is just uh, technology and access to information and data. I've had a chance to do a number of uh, presentations on Generation Z. So this is the or the I generation uh, that uh, Twenji kind of talks about. And I think uh, just last week talking to the school business government economics faculty, there's this aspect in regards to so much data that is just this is a 2014 data point, but at that point, 90% of what was online, so from 2012 to 2014, 90% had been developed in two years that was online. And so when you think about how fast um, students have access to the data, then the question is, is it good data? Is it credible? Is it something that, can you talk about, our, our librarian, Michael Paulus, talks about digital wisdom. And so I think that's a real interesting part at this point is, um, I think it's harder and harder for students to kind of know what is good and what is true, Mm -hmm. what is genuine in regards to uh, the data that comes at them all the time. And I think that's that's a discerning aspect. Knowledge versus truth. Correct. Right. Being able to look at that data and make some meaning out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other question, the follow up to the looking at students year over year is what is the one quality that even though the obstacles that these students are facing may be similar or may be very different. But what's the one quality that you look for in those incoming students and you go, that one? That's that's hmm. going to be a successful leader. I think there's a couple of things that I would look for. One is a student who's willing to try something and experiment and who's willing to step out. And I think that's important, not necessarily in a cocky way or over, overstep, but someone who's saying, yeah, I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to do something that is a little bit out of my comfort zone. And I think that's something that uh, really goes a long way for students. The other thing, and actually just in reading a a number of pieces in regards to this generation, the thing that I'm looking for, and I really hope that we find a resurgence in, is is the issue of curiosity. Um, I think we've really uh, missed that uh, over the last uh, decade or so in regards to just for a variety of, of reasons. Um, most of them very good, but I think if we can find that students kind of have had that renewed curiosity, whether that be in academics, uh, this is why I love the liberal arts, because you get a chance to experiment with so many different topics. I didn't choose my major until I was a junior, and I was forced to then choose a major at that time period, because I enjoyed learning in a lot of different places. And I would hope our students would do that as well and take advantage of all that's offered to them for, for the sake of just learning. 
Um, not for the sake of getting a job or getting, not, not that jobs are unimportant. They're very important. I have a 27-year-old and a 22-year-old as well. But at the same time, I would really love to see our students just keep on uh, increasing in curiosity, uh, imagination, uh, kind of just thinking in that, in that realm. I think that's very, very important. I don't think that we've done a great job of that uh, in preparing uh, students to come to college. But I hope when they get here that they'll take advantage of that fully. Kind of ignite that, exactly. that flame that lasts forever. I was just yesterday listening to a podcast about the newest, latest research with Alzheimer's and memory care. Mm -hmm. And I think the one thing that everyone can agree on is the more you're using your brain in new and creative ways, the longer it's going to last and right. the and the healthier it's going to be. So the sooner we can start that habit, the right. better off we'll all right. be, right? Yeah. And, that's, and that's what I've loved about being in higher ed for as long as I have is, and, you know, three different institutions is the opportunity to see things in so many different ways and hear speakers and get a chance to experience music and theater and athletics and, you know, just, just a variety of things, uh, you know, our lecture series from different uh, disciplines. What a, what a great opportunity uh, to, to do that. And, and again, I would just hope that our students will keep on figuring out that that's such an advantage in a place like this uh, that they have while they're in higher education because a lot of times you leave and it's like wow I missed that and it's not always easy to get back to it once you leave it it is a lot harder to go find those opportunities than to have them right Mm -hmm. here at your doorstep right across campus and often much more expensive absolutely that is true (laughs) that is true so the last question I like to ask everyone that we have on the show is Clearly, there's something different and unique about you, or you wouldn't have achieved what you've achieved. So if you could tell everyone in Seattle to do one thing differently when they wake up tomorrow, that if we all did it was going to make Seattle a much better place, what would you tell them to do? That's a great question. Um, I think for me, and I'm not sure that I'm that unique for one, I think for me, one of the things that part of my doctoral work, I ran into a number of readings on leadership, and something that keeps on coming back to me is the first and last task of a leader is to keep hope alive. And so uh, if there's been something that I've tried to push forward with our student leaders, and actually now with our leadership minor, um, it's it, basically it's a, a quick six-word um, biography for me is first and last, keep hope alive. And I think that's the piece that I would just encourage all of us to keep on thinking about that. And I think incredibly that's true with our Christian faith. I think that's also true with what our world needs in many ways. I think in particular with leadership, that's really a very, very important aspect of uh, leadership. Well, since you said you weren't sure if you're that unique, I'll end with my favorite quote by Margaret Mead. You are totally and completely unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>